airways Here is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Howdy hi, Victoria Stand the man Hello Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420 3XY. How are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six. 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3 E, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi, and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to speak to the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. And today's guest kick-started his career in the West, spent a little bit of time plying his trade overseas before returning to Australia, on to Melbourne, then Geelong, finally up north to Queensland. He helped farewell one of our great radio stations, and he's known to many as the best-dressed man behind a microphone. He is Rory Atlas. We Hey, Laurie Atlas, welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely. Now, Laurie, we normally ask our guests who were the jocks they listened to who inspired them to have a crack at radio. But in your case, I'll ask who the cricket commentators were that had you thinking that cricket commentary was something for you. Alan McGilvray. Oh, that ages me, doesn't it? Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I used to listen to Alan McGilvray and uh, Neville Oliver. And I know you asked this because you may have once read maybe that I wanted to be a cricket commentator, and that was the inspiration. Yes. Oh, good. Uh, but then I realised uh, when Neville Oliver retired, Jim Maxwell took over. And considering how long everyone was a cricket commentator, I thought, no, nah, this is just not going to fit into my working life because Jim Maxwell's still doing it. So, And I'm 60 now. So I just thought, nah, I'll do the other thing I love, which is music radio and talk radio, and hopefully one day have a good career of it. Okay, 17-year-old, straight out of school and on the road to Kalgoorlie for your first job at 6KG. How did you sell that one to your parents, and how did they react? Uh, they didn't have a say in it. I, I had done a radio course when I was 15, 16 with uh, one of the greats of news in Perth, Bill Gill who read Channel 7 News at night. He was a wonderful man, and uh, he helped me through it. And so I did that in my final year of school, and I, I got the job uh, at 6KG, and I just said, I'm off now. And they didn't stand in my way. They, they kind of packed me on the train, and uh, off we went. They came with me, and uh, 6KG had a front door with no windows at that time. And my mother said I basically saw the door open, 
and this building swallow you up. And I thought, I'll never see you again. <laughs> she did. But I had, uh, I had a wonderful eight months there. So how was life in Kalgoorlie and your accommodation at the Agricola College? The Agricola College, I called it. I, I, I think, I'm not sure what it was. The, some called it the Agricola College because it was based on the Agriculture College. But somebody said it was called the Agricola College, but it, it, it was lovely. Uh, one room and uh, communal showers. And uh, I was waiting for a spot in the announcers' houses. They own two houses there. And I was waiting for a spot in that. So I stayed there for about five to six weeks and maybe about two months. And I had a, had a great time. But it was good to get into get amongst the announcers because uh, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. Eight months and then it's off to Easy Roll and 6IX to join a group of jocks who no doubt you had been an avid listener of a few years earlier. Guys like Tom Needle, uh, Ted Bull, Jeff Bradley, and the list goes on. How did you end up there and how did they welcome the young kid into the fold? Uh, they welcomed me very nicely. Sheree Romaro was the program director of Easy Roll and 6 Eggs, a wonderful woman who I'm still in touch with and I still, every day, whenever I speak to her, just thank her for taking me uh, raw as I was still out of Kalgoorlie. I thought I was pretty good, actually, but listening back, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. And uh, she was very, very patient, but firm. She knew what she wanted and um, she let you be who you wanted to be, but she had a sound that she wanted for Easy Roll and 6IX, which was a, a kind of a smooth sort of version of what is now smooth. I would assume smooth FM. And it was, she was wonderful. She was, she would air check me every day, tell me where I went wrong. And I worked with guys who I, you're right, I did listen to when I was a kid, Tom Needle. Uh, especially, I thought, my Lord. And this wonderful, jolly man came in every day and said, how are you going? Look, listen on the way in, getting there, he'd say, getting there. And uh, he was great, Tom Needle. Uh, Ted Bull, the drive announcer, was wonderful too. Pete Brown was wonderful. Philip Lear was, they were all, they were all nice to me. Tony Hartney was probably the quietest. I didn't have a lot to say to Tony, but when I did speak to him, he was always very... Very, very good to talk to. I was never there when Tony was on the air. But, uh, they, they, were, they, were all, they were all great. They were, they were all great. I'm still in touch with a lot of them, Ted Bull especially. Um, Tom Needle, not so much. I believe he's retired these days. At 6AX, it was a, a case of working hard on air and playing fairly hard in the downtime? Uh, I didn't. 6AX was a little more, a um, bit, bit quieter, actually. But they, were, they were adults. They were adults. It, it, <laughs> 6 p.m. was the one where uh, the the sort of the sort of party began. But no, they were they were a good bunch at 6ix, and I worked part time in Channel Seven as well. Um, that was how Cherie got me there. Actually, I had to work part time in Channel Seven and part time in 6ix, and uh, the, the Channel Seven people were were pretty wonderful to me as well. Although I just used to come in and do voiceovers there, and some of the journalists didn't like the fact that this announcer came in and they wrote all the copy and um, I basically did the voiceover and got the credit at the bottom line, Laurie Atlas reporting, which I also thought was weird, <laughs> but it worked okay. It worked okay. Brian Coulter was very nice to me there. He was the uh, news editor, so I've got him to thank as well. Now, as you mentioned, the next move was just across town to another ratings juggernaut in 6pm. What were the reasons for that move and, and what shift were you working there? Most of the announcers I grew up with uh, 
when I was a kid were on 6 p.m. That was that was the station I used to listen to. I used to listen to Lionel York. I used to listen to Lionel Lewis. Uh, I used to listen to Ron Beatson, Gary Shannon. Um, to a lesser extent, I think even Lindsay Walker and and actually Steve Mason, who was doing 10 till 1 at 6 p.m., was the guy I phoned and asked how to how to get into it. And he was he spent about half an hour on the phone to me one night when I was about 15 and he told me how to do it. And uh, 6 p.m. was also wonderful. I, I worked with these wonderful, wonderful people who just welcomed the young 18-year-old, and I did Midnight to Dawns there and and Floated, of course. Yeah, they, Midnight to Dawn and Floaters in those days. And so you got to fill in on everyone's shift. So, again, at most of the stations I've been at, except 6IX, uh, I did every shift, every single one of them at one at one time or another. So you, you were involved in two successful stations in Perth. So in what ways were 6IX and 6PM different? And in, in what ways were they the same? Yeah, they, they, they were both... Uh, hugely demanding as to getting it right. Uh, Leo Nelson was the program director at 6pm and he had a certain sound that he wanted and he made sure you did it. And we, uh, 6IX was the same in that sense. They, they had a certain sound. It was very different to 6pm. Um, but I managed to transcend over, over both of them and keep a little bit of my personality as well. Uh, when I was young, like most young radio announcers, I wanted to be Lionel York. And the minute I met Lionel, every young Perth announcer wanted to be Lionel York. And because he was such a big, big, big star in Perth. He was huge. And they don't, they don't make radio stars like that anymore, right? Uh, just because they don't. But um, he was marvellous. And the minute I got to 6pm, I realised I could never be Lionel York. And that was the great epiphany for me because I realised that you couldn't be somebody else. You had to be yourself. And you had to find your personality and find what, who you were. You couldn't be Lionel York. Lionel York was one of a kind. In fact, every, Gary Shannon was one of a kind. Every announcer I've ever met is, is their own sort of self. And I found I found myself at 6 p.m. That's where I found myself because I stayed there for a while. I was there for five years. And uh, that's where I found myself. So that was the great difference, I think. So after 6 p.m., it was time for a working hiatus overseas, including, I believe, some radio work as well. I did a little bit. I, I, I did a little bit of stuff at Capital Radio. Um, I did a little bit of stuff um, at uh, uh, Radio Caroline, which was nothing like the movie, can I just tell you, uh, then. I'm sure it was heaps of fun in the 70s. Look, it was a little bit of fun. You were two weeks on, nonstop. I froze to death in the North Sea, right? And... Uh, I realised that if I'd stayed there too long, I would have turned into an alcoholic because there's really nothing else to do. You do three things. You do your shift, you play cards, and you drink. That's all you do. There's nothing else to do. Um, and they, they never, ever, ever, while I was there, can I just say, flew in women. I never saw them. It was just us. It was just the blokes. 
But uh, I also worked for a while at a place, a similar sort of radio station off the coast of Haifa in Israel called The Voice of Peace, which was run by a chap whose name I can't remember. I wish I could because he deserves better, uh, who got his legs uh, blown off in the Six-Day War. And he got this radio station together called The Voice of Peace. Uh, I worked there and uh, I was set to work at Radio Riviera on um, in Monte Carlo, but I had to come home. <laughs> so what's the plan always to return to radio or did you leave Australia with an open mind? I wasn't sure, but yeah, it was always, I, I think it was always going to be radio. I just, I just needed a bit of, um, a bit of time off. You know, I was a bit burnt out. I'd uh, possibly had a little too much fun. I don't know what I was doing. I just, I just thought if I don't see the world now, I'm not going to see it. So yeah, but it, but it was great. I had such a, I had such a great time. But it was also it also became the catalyst for me to leave Perth. Funnily enough. So you say leaving Perth? Does that mean you had your eyes set on the east coast? Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like the uh, West Australian footballers who always used to leave. My mates of mine were going over there and uh, settling themselves down, especially in Melbourne. And I thought. I've got to do this as well. And uh, I'm just going to drop a name. So if you wouldn't mind just picking it up behind the behind your desk there. Uh, I was I went back to 6pm and I was doing an interview with, of all people, Don Henley of the Eagles. Yeah, I just it's just over there. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, I was bored. I was just wasn't. It was, it, look, it was an okay interview, and I really enjoyed it, and I'd done a lot of them, but uh, I was bored. And I thought, this is not right. This is actually not right. And I realised the, the, the problem was is that when I went overseas, every glance I took every day was different. No matter what time of the day it was, every glance I took was different. And I came back to Perth, and everything was the same. And that had nothing to do with radio particularly, but it was just to do with Perth. That's where I'd grown up. And, and I realised that I had to go. I had to leave. It was time. And I went over to, I, I rang 3XY because I wanted to work there. And the program director, the great Gary Soprane, would not give me a job before I left, which is what my mother begged me to do. But he said enough that said, if I came over there and walked through his door, he would give me a job. And that's exactly what happened. Now, Laurie, we've spoken to a lot of jocks on pilots about 3XY and its domination in the 70s. Can you tell us about 3XY when you arrived? It was under huge pressure from Eon FM. Uh, Eon, Eon FM was very cool and 3XY was cool enough. And Gary Soprane, probably along with Sharia Ramara, the two greatest PDs I've ever had. Uh, he was fighting a rearguard action against Eon FM. And the way he was doing that was to make 3XY a lot cooler than it should have been 
back then. And so what he did was he had a breakfast show called the XY Zoo. And he also had a drive show uh, called Sherl and Irvine with Mark Irvine and Shirley Strawn. And they were the two pivots for him. And in between, of course, at night, he still had Peter Grace, the great, the great Peter Grace. And he made it cool enough that we fought off Eon FM for nearly probably five more years than we should have because all the cool kids were turning to FM, but a lot of the cool kids stayed with 3XY because of those reasons. So, Laurie, what effect, if any, did the sale of the licence to Paul Dainty in 1986 have on the station? Not really a lot. Paul Dainty was a very generous man and, and very supportive uh, very supportive of the format. Um, he he was and very supportive of the breakfast show that I did, the XY Zoo. Um, he, he, he loved it. He, he thought it was, he, I think, I think it was probably the reason he bought it uh, because he, because he loved, he loved that breakfast show and he, and uh, he could feel the vibe and uh, he, uh, he was a good boss actually. We didn't sweet see him that often. He was always off uh, gallivanting with, um, with rock stars far more important than us. But, uh, we saw him a few times and he was always very supportive. Hey, tell us about some of the good folk of the XY Zoo. Oh, gee, what, what, what can I say? Uh, Richard Stubbs is the radio comedian, and I say radio comedian because they're different to comedians, and a lot of comedians try and be radio comedians and they can't be. But he is the one that all the others should be judged by. He is... He is a magnificent observer of life. And, of course, when he first got there, I'm assuming he did all his best bits from his live shows because that's where he was found. But that's when they get found out. that Their material lasts for about five days. That's it. They've done all their good material. After that, you've actually got to show a talent. And, oh, my Lord, he was magnificent and very supportive. And he but he always knew he could learn and he always knew he could learn about the craft of radio from someone like me or the great late, sadly, Peter O'Callaghan. And he did. And he was a great absorber of everything. And occasionally he'd look at me and say, I stuffed that up, didn't I? Or he, he, when we were doing interviews, he'd get very excited and, and sometimes talk over the guests and not let them talk. And he wanted to tell them all about him. And, 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 and he, he, we'd finish the interview and he'd go, I did it again, didn't I? And he, and he, and he, he left. Uh, I also, there was, and then there was Jane Holmes, the adorable, uh, insecure, but oh my Lord, so funny, Jane Holmes. And again, 
the the female foil that every other female foil has been trying to be but not succeeded in the last 20 years and everybody every female i think who ever comes on here who's old enough and knows enough about radio or even young enough and knows enough about radio should want to be jane holmes and uh then there was peter stubbs who we wanted as a sports guy and richard said oh my brother talks sport we'll get him on he's an idiot and talk about taking your chance and running with it man did he run with it and he was just he was just adorable and we the, the the person peter stubbs is today is so vastly different from the peter stubbs who started as grubby even though he still calls himself grubby he was a sexist pig in those days and that was the character he would have a thing called, we, we, we'd go to a nightclub on a Thursday night and do a live show. On the Friday morning, he'd, he'd announce the hornbag of the week on air. And Jane Holmes would say, oh, Grubby, that's disgusting. And as long as Jane was there to beautifully put him down, the gag worked. But we couldn't do it now. We couldn't do it now. But he took his chance and, and he's become just a legend in his own lunchtime as well. Great people, great people. Uh, Rick McKenna, who played Tassie, Tasman Jack Clinch, the character who came on all the time, and it, he, he was he was fantastic. Everyone, they were just they were just wonderful, wonderful people to work with on that breakfast show. Uh, did you ask about the other people at Three X Y as well? Oh, the great Peter Grace. We disagree on everything politically now. Like I, I don't think we even get on. I'm not sure, <laughs> but um, but. Oh, as a radio announcer, my Lord, he was magnificent. And what he didn't know about music. I came in one night, the first night I came in to do Midnight to Dawn, Peter Grace was was playing Bruce Springsteen's Rosalita. And I hadn't met him yet. And the, 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 he had the speakers so loud, it made my ears bleed. But he turned it down pretty quick. He told me where everything was and he was wonderful. Uh, the, the great John Hood was there as well the sadly now late sean hood he, he was a he was a lovely bloke and then and then of course there was shelly strawn what a delight what a delight shelly strawn turned out to be and i worked with him a couple of times when mark irvine was sick or off and we just had that we just had a great time mark irvine's still a mate of mine now and in fact all the people at 3xy i'm still very friendly with and, and see as often as i can stuck up here in rockhampton but um yeah just just great just great, great people. Yeah. Yet another sale in 1989, this time to the parent company of Bay FM in Geelong. Now, was there still hope amongst the staff that the station was still viable in the Melbourne marketplace with some possible tweaking and change of format? Or was the, the writing on the wall at that stage for 3XY? Uh, yeah, I... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hold much hope for... 3xy in fact um i think the man who bought it had no uh, intention of keeping it as a as a viable option i think he wanted the equipment to be honest <laughs> I don't know. uh but yeah i i thought that that was probably going to be it um he had this idea that he could use 3xy to leverage um bay fm into the melbourne market which was totally illegal at the time i i think I think the laws have uh, changed a little bit on that. I don't. I don't know. Um, I know in the Geelong market when I was there, we used to claim that we were fighting eleven stations, not just not just one or two. Um, 
and that why can't we have the right to go the other way? But yeah, he, he no, the writing was certainly on the wall. And when I was offered to do breakfast at Bay FM, I thought, well, I better take this. There's nothing else on the horizon. <laughs> that was ACDC, and this is Glenn A. Baker. Thank you for listening. After this tone, 3XY will cease transmission. September 23, 1991, the day the music died for 3XY, and you were one of the last ones on air along with Roxanne Bennett. How and when were the staff notified that the station was to permanently close down? Oh, about a week it was. Yeah, it was it was about a week, and um, it was a look. It was a sad time, but it was an inevitable time. Uh, and I, so many people were upset, but it, it's it's a bit like it's a bit like when they when they say, uh, oh, yeah, I, I I used to drink diet coke, but then no sugar coke came along, and I drank that. Uh, but I do miss the Diet Coke. I miss it a lot. You know, it's, uh, maybe I'd go back to drinking it again, but no, nah, I really like that no sugar Coke now. Um, and that was the situation we were in. So many people were so incredibly sad. And I, I go on YouTube and I see the amount of people who have who have um, looked at Mal Walden's report, which is, I think, the one that's on there from Channel 10 of the day the music died. And... Yeah, it was um, inevitable, sad. As we said, uh, you and Roxanne farewelled the station. How difficult was it to try to encapsulate the history of a great radio station in a couple of hours leading to the end? I just basically did what I'm doing now. Um, I knew a lot about 3XY, and that's that's why she got me back, because I, I was the one who knew most about it. And she felt, uh, and I think rightly, she probably made the right call that she didn't want to stuff it up. She knew, she knew that this was something special and something that would never happen again. And I think Roxanne would probably agree that she basically just didn't want to muck it up. She wanted someone there to hold her hand and help her through it and uh, make sure she didn't cry. And that was my job, <laughs> basically. But yeah, I just, I just. Uh, thought about and talked about all the all the people who had gone through the place. What a huge institution it was in uh, in Melbourne. It, it was an incredible institution in Melbourne. I, I don't. I know people at Two SM and Four IP uh, talk about how how big they were as part of that sort of same type of format. But no one, no radio station was as loved in Melbourne as 3XY. Absolutely. And I'm so glad I worked there. I'm, I'm so glad I worked there. I'm so glad I was the small, small, small part of its history. So what was the idea behind Glenn A. Baker being the one to give the station its final rights? Uh, because the people who owned us were from Sydney and they didn't quite understand. Although, although the great, great Kevin Hillier, who I do love, Dearly and still and still talk to who was also at 3XY while I was there. Uh, used to have Glenn A. Baker on as a guest um, in his on his show, um, and so he was he, he knew a lot about it too. And as a as a, a music aficionado, I suppose 
he could talk as much as anybody, but I, I, I don't know who the Melbourne version of Glen A. Baker was at the time. Was there one? I suppose they could, they could have got Molly. <laughs> As you said, one door closes, another opens, almost next door in fact, and so begins a 21-year association with 93.9 Bay FM in Geelong, including 12 years on the breakfast shift with Paula Contel. What was so good about life and work in Geelong that kept you there for so long? Do you know, I look back and I've got no idea. Um, (laughs) uh, Look, I, um, I went there because that was where the work was. Um, I I really enjoyed working with Paula. She was uh, Paula was like a sponge, and I watched her become as good as any uh, female I've ever worked with. In fact, uh, I would put Paula Contell um, up there with Jane Holmes. She had a great wit, man. And the, the, if Paula was better at one thing than Jane. Paula Contell could tell a story about her own life and also and or something that happened in it better than any female broadcaster I worked with. She was absolutely magnificent and funny, very, very funny when she did it. And that that was her gift. That was her great gift. And she listened and she learned how to do it and she was she she was up there i think she was the major reason i stayed on breakfast for so long because we became we became a great part of that city laurie and paula for breakfast and um i enjoyed every minute of it at three forty-five, i jumped out of bed there wasn't a day when i didn't jump out of bed so who were some of the other names who you worked with there over the years uh, John Hood again. <laughs> John Hood was down there. Uh, who else? Who, who else was was down there? Uh, Mark Highland was there for a while. Uh, I think he's back on breakfast. I think he's doing breakfast at Bay FM now. I, I think he's gone back. Uh, I employed Daryl Reader uh, from Three CS when I was also doing uh, program director at Bay FM, and he's never left. He's been there the whole time. I think he. I think he's. He's been, he must be coming up for, well, I, I got out of radio after 43 years, so I think he must be coming up for at least 30, 35. Um, and 30 years of that is surely at uh, Bay FM by now, I'd say. So was this the period that Laurie Atlas, the music jock, slowly morphed into Laurie Atlas, the talk personality? Yeah, I. that, that was the point where I thought, I can't do any other shift but breakfast because I don't want to, just back announce music and and that was also when radio turned into uh playing research came in we researched we researched 100 people and they said the only eagle song they wanted to hear was hotel california and new kid in town with possibly a side side dish of life in the fast lane that's the only three they want to hear that's the only three we're going to play uh, we, we researched them about, and they only said they want to hear Daniel by Elton John and your song by Elton John with a side dish of maybe the bitch is back or Saturday night's all right for fighting on a good day. And oh, again, again with the Hotel California, again with the new kid in town. 
So I thought, well, if I'm not allowed to talk, I'm not going to enjoy a music shift. So I stayed on breakfast and I thought I'm, I'm only ever going to be a breakfast announcer on music radio. That's all. Well, the change must have worked well for you because in 1996, you were acknowledged in the Accra Awards as the best talk personality at a provincial radio station. That was a good one. I know. <laughs> what a surprise. And, you, and you, you know the ironic thing about that? That is the least amount of time I have ever spent on an ACRA entry, because, you know, you're going to nominate yourself for the ACRAs, which I've always found to be weird. But I wish someone else could nominate you. I just hate that. You're going to really put your own entry in. But I did anyway, and I, I must have spent literally five minutes just editing together promos, one after the other, put them together, and that was and – I, and I won. And I was – no one was more surprised than me. No one was more happy than me. But I've spent more time on other entries and not even been nominated. <laughs> so what's to do? So tell us a little about the next move up north to continue the talk with the Prime Radio Network. Well, I, Bay FM had a meeting uh, that I wasn't at. I was on holidays. And I came back and... I don't know whether we decided, but they decided that uh, I wasn't wanted anymore. And uh, look, I'll say this now, uh, but of course we didn't at the time. We we made out that it was my decision to go on this great adventure. Well, it wasn't really. It wasn't my decision. It was really theirs. You know, they sent me on the great adventure because there was no job to be had. They wanted to make. They said oh, I can have a job as a sales rep. And I said, yeah. Right. Anyway, so off we went, and um, I actually had every intention of not working in radio. But one of the things I learned about radio is sometimes it doesn't actually qualify you for much. So I looked around the jobs on the Sunshine Coast, and there isn't really a lot you can do on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, you can be a handyman. Look at this. Look at what I'm wearing. Uh, you can be a lifesaver. I don't know. You could work in, you can serve coffee, but there's not really much else. You can push trolleys at Woolworths, I suppose. So I went and worked for, I hassled and hassled Prime Radio because I got a good payout. I, I, I wasn't flush, I had a fair bit of money. I was okay. Um, but I needed to work. And eventually Prime Radio gave me a job doing a talk, afternoon talk show uh, right around Queensland, which was wonderful. They had a little network and they wanted to fill it. Now in the talk show format, was Laurie Atlas a shock jock, a feather ruffler, or just a here's the facts, make up your own mind kind of presenter? No, I became a feather ruffler and a shock jock. Yeah, that's what they called me. That's what they wanted. And um, so I became one. I was nowhere near in the league of Alan Jones. Uh, not in the sense of what I was saying. It's just that every time I heard Alan between 11 and 12, just before, or between 12 and 1, just before I came on the air, I just think, my Lord, if I could be half as good as this bloke. You don't have to agree with what he's saying, but gee, man, he says it with great finesse. Um, but I tried. And uh, I, I think I succeeded. I, it, it was a very popular show. We, we got a lot of calls. We had a lot of uh, feedback on how good it was and uh, had a great time. It was wonderful. 
So your talk program known as The Daily Agenda became must-listen-to radio up north, covering topics such as politics, cooking, sport, health, pet talk, and of course on Wednesdays, there was secret women's business. Talk about variety. Yes, there was, because uh, I had to fill four hours. You know, I had to fill four hours a day. And I, look, I, I noticed, because uh, I did a bit of research, and I noticed when I listened to Alan Jones's show, uh, for argument's sake, which is what they wanted me to sort of model it on, um, Alan Jones didn't just scream at you for three and a half hours. He talked about a lot of different topics and he interviewed a lot of different people and uh, it was incredibly interesting. And he, he was also, you know, he'd have, he, he'd be ranting about uh, Tony Abbott in those days. And then in the next 15 minutes, he'd have Anthony Warlow uh, on because he was a great mate of Alan's and they were talking about Phantom of the Opera. So I realised that there was a lot of different things that, that woven through. Uh, Secret Women's Business, of course, I noticed you pointed that out. I, I just basically got three women on so we could talk nonsense, and um, it was uh, it, it it was fun. I would probably be accused of sexism now. Well, I don't know, but the girls loved it. They they had a they had a great time. I used to come up with topics and ask them silly questions, and uh, there we were for an hour or so. Had a great time. As I said, four hours of talkback is a long time. And I assume more of the same with 4RO in Rockhampton and 4CC for the Grant Broadcasting Group? Yeah, I uh, when when Grants bought the radio stations, um, Grants modus operandi, and, and I do admire them for it, is to work local. They like their stations to be local. So they didn't want the afternoon talk show. So they sent me to 4RO in Rockhampton. Um, luckily, when I came home, to tell my wife, um, she said, Rockhampton, eh? That's good. I didn't like it here much anyway. So I said, really? She said, no, no, it's full of lifestyle coaches. I can't stand it. So off we went. And um, and I, I this this was this was uh, my last port of call. It's a, it's the strangest thing, you know. You 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 write on a list of places you might want to work and um, I'd, I'd finished that list by the time I got to Melbourne. I'd, I kind of wanted to work in Sydney as well, but that never happened. I, I gave that up. Uh, but it's a funny it's a funny thing. I didn't have Rockhampton on the list. Uh, in fact, I didn't have anywhere in Queensland on the list. But um, here I am and uh, here we are. Okay, Laurie, time to test your memory. What links these four people together? Michael King, Hamish McLean... Brett Swain and Laurie Atlas. I was in a movie that was about the life of Shirley Temple. I have my own, uh, what do they call that thing where where movie stars, is it, is it called IB, IB, IBM or? Yeah, the IMDB profile. Yes. And if you go there and you Google George Clooney, you can also Google Laurie Atlas. It's the most incredible thing. I was on screen for about 90 seconds, I think, maybe longer, and I have never seen the film. But, gee, I was magnificent. You know? All I had to do was wear a suit. It was the greatest day of my life. I could just sit there and 
really do nothing. They fed us all day. I didn't get called until eight o'clock. So I got paid from 11 a.m. till eight o'clock to basically sit around and talk to people. It's wonderful. What's, what's not the like? <laughs> now, Laurie, no doubt you've been involved in a number of interesting radio competitions over the years. What was it that the Dillon family won on Bay FM in April 2007? Oh, yes, Family Feud. Yes, Family Feud. That was a good day. All these things I've forgotten. The only thing I loathe about Family Feud, if you can find the photo of us on Family Feud, the worst shirts ever. The worst ever radio shirts. Radio shirts are never good. The XY Zoo ones were magnificent. I don't know who came up with those, but they were great. They were memorable. They were worth having. I've still got those. Oh, they made you look like you were served. You were about to pump petrol at uh, Puma, you know, at Ampol. It was terrible. So the Dillon family won the right to take on the Bay FM jocks on Family Feud. Tell me, who were the four guys that represented the station on the night? Paula will be happy you called her a guy. There was Paula Contell. There was Mark Highland. There was Steve Good and my good self. And, uh, you know, I've got to hand it to Bert. Bert, what, what a magnificent man. He, we knew each other before we'd met a few times um but the one he really loved was jane holmes and of course i i went out with dear jane for a few years so we saw a bit of bert in that time and, and bert adored jane but my god to be greeted the way i was greeted by bert with such a big hug in front of my uh bay fm uh colleagues i actually went so high up in their estimations and Bert gave me a wink as if to say, I did that for you. <laughs> he knew, he knew what he'd done. He was magnificent. Now, finally, Laurie, some of us are lucky enough to have a wake-up call with respect to our health, and you had one in 2015. How important is it to recognise any warning signs and then act without hesitation? Well, it's very important, I'd say now, uh, do you know what? It's a funny thing because I, I actually, as you, as you say, I had triple bypass. Um, and uh, the only reason I know what year it was is because it was the year Queensland ditched Campbell Newman as Premier. He had an 83-seat majority and that went down to went down to nothing. And Anastasia Palaszczuk became Premier. But uh, it, it felt like heartburn to me. It wasn't like in the movies. In the movies, everyone goes, didn't happen. I had heartburn that day. And I I actually, I did my show, right? I did my show with the heartburn. No problem. It's a bit of heartburn. What do you do? And I came home and I ate dinner with my daughter. And then I thought, I can't get rid of this heartburn. And I went into my wife who was asleep and I said, Rebecca, I'm just going to drive myself down to Namble um, things. I can't get rid of this heartburn. And she came like rising from the dead, like the girl out of the exorcist and just went, no, and maybe call an ambulance. And I did. And I was in the back of the ambulance and I said, have I had a heart attack or not? He said, yeah. He said, am I having it now? He said, yeah. But yes, if you get heartburn, and it doesn't go away, have it checked and cut down on your salt. Three, 
Okay, Laurie, you know the drill. 12 quick questions, starting off with uh, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? I was at the studios of 6pm in Perth and a ashen-faced Lionel York walked out of the studio after being handed a note by the news editor, Ted Gook, uh, and said John Lennon had died. And he was white as a sheet, absolutely white as a sheet. And we all just swung into action. Uh, we It's amazing what radio stations do in, in those situations. We, we, we basically got promos together, played music. Uh, we actually reenacted um, on air the moment when Lennon was shot, as we thought it had happened. Um, and uh, it, it was incredible. Yeah, and it proved to me that back then that radio was the now. It, it, radio deals in the now. And that's where radio is wrong. Radio, radio now doesn't deal in the now. A lot of it, it's pre-recorded and it's, it's it's shocking. If you can't if you can't do it live and do it in the now and make your mistakes, then you're not doing radio right, as far as I'm concerned. And I think you'd have a fair few people agreeing with you there, Laurie. Hey, listen, last concert ticket you paid for? Uh, it was 2003, I think. The Doobie Brothers. I love the Doobie Brothers. I uh, they would be probably my favourite band of all time now, the ones that have stuck with me the most. And I, I paid for them. I wouldn't have missed them. I couldn't wait. Free tickets or not free tickets, I wasn't waiting. I bought them. And they didn't disappoint either. Is there a concert act you regret never seeing? Oh, really? It's going to sound really... I really would have liked to have seen uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. I love Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, but I saw most of my youth... The, the, the bands that I still love and really love, uh, I, I saw most of them. Um, even Frank, I, I, if I hadn't seen Frank Lizer and Sammy in concert, I would have said Sammy Davis Jr. But I did see him and it was just wonderful. So, yeah, Earth, Wind and Fire I've never seen. I would have liked to have seen them. When Maurice White was alive. That word you had most trouble pronouncing on air. Uh what was it? Hey, I, t- I couldn't think of a word that I had trouble with, but I'll tell you something that I hate. Coming. The word is coming. Don't say coming up. Coming. It grates. It grates on me. <laughs> when it, and they, so many of them do it. Coming up. I used to have trouble with royal commission. <laughs> Every now and then I couldn't say, I couldn't say royal commission. Uh, there were never ones that always upset me. Superfluous words. Time is 20 past 10. What? Just say 20 past 10. <laughs> you don't have to say time is. But coming was the one. Okay, time for our next... No, I won't do that. Um, next question. Was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking you might get those don't-come-Monday orders? Oh, yeah. And it was so early in my career. I'll... I'll, I'll I'll keep this story short because it happened over about a half hour period. But I was on, I was doing a Saturday morning show and they used to send the football show uh, up from Perth and we used to take it live. And the theory was you, when you heard the theme, you'd play your own theme because you could hear it on cue. You play your own theme and everything would match and it did. And uh, this one particular time, they kept on going to silence. And all you'd hear was the great Tim Flynn going, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. 
And I keep pulling them off air and go, well, I'm not sure they know what they're doing, but we'll come back. And I went to a commercial break. And we went back again. This happened three times. The fourth time they did it again. And then Tim, what, what the, with the F word, are you guys doing? And I went, oh, well, obviously they're having huge problems uh, in Perth. We'll come back with the footy show in just a moment with Tim Flynn and the boys. Went to a commercial break, said, my Lord, what the F is going on here? Looked down, microphone was on. And a wonderful man who was my program director by the name of Cliff Reeve waited till after my show at midday and walked into the studio and said, you can come back Monday, but let this be a lesson to you. The microphone is always, always on. And walked out. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it could have been the moment. It could have been the moment, but luckily it wasn't. <laughs> Skyhooks or Sherbet? Oh, now, I liked both of them. But I love Skyhooks a lot more. But I had to keep my love for Sherbet a secret because uh, you were a sissy in my day, if you liked Sherbet. But I did like a lot of their songs. And long before they brought out How's That? But I, oh man, I love Skyhooks. And, I, and I'm a great friend of uh, Freddie Strauss, who's, I call him Imans because that's his name. But um, I'm a great friend of his and I and we see each other a lot and I do love him. And, and, and of course, Sheryl. Oh my God, Sheryl. What a wonderful man. But gee, I love Sky. I was quite starstruck when I first met Sheryl. But he, he, that, he fixed that in about two seconds. <laughs> the Rolling Stones or the Beatles? I'll confess it to you. The, you know, the great Peter Mobbs, who I worked with at, at uh, Bay FM, will hate me. I have no love for the Rolling Stones. None. None at all. I don't mind brown sugar. I don't mind you can't always get what you want. But the Beatles I love. I love the Beatles. Yeah. Sorry, Pete. Don't listen to this. I hope you didn't hear this. I don't like the Rolling Stones. Okay, the most treasured piece of memorabilia from those radio days, and I can guarantee it's probably not a signed copy of Exile on Main Street either. Ah, and I still have it because I don't have a lot of memorabilia, but I still have this, my Roxy Music Flesh and Blood tour jacket. And and those were the days. I wish it, my mum has it um, now. I wish I could show it to you. But it is there, and she is shook, so I check on it. I check on my flesh and blood to a jacket because in those days they didn't sell stuff in back back then they didn't sell things at concerts idiots now they do and they i think they make more money from selling that sort of stuff than they do out of the concert i don't know but no you got those from record companies and we got we the important people the radio announcers we got to wear them and so i have that i've also got a h2o stitched thing t-shirt which i quite like i've still got that yeah, flesh and blood. The biggest news story that broke while you were on air? Uh, oh, that's interesting too, because when I was doing Midnight to Dawn, um, probably because of the time difference, in America, a lot of famous people used to die, right? But I'll tell you the one that made me the most sad to announce on air was Karen Carpenter. I was mortified by that and it was such a shock because she was so young and we didn't really 
know she was sick, I don't suppose. We thought she was thin, but she didn't, we didn't know she was sick. And, of course, she was the first famous person to die of um, anorexia nervosa. And um, I was so sad because she was so lovely. She, I still listen to her today and I still can't believe she's dead. But, yeah, 4 a.m., Perth time, I had to announce Karen Carpenter's death. I, I, I had a good news story, uh, the America's Cup. When Australia 2 won the America's Cup, um, I got to do that as well because that was that was midnight to dawn as well. And it was something to do with the time difference, you know, but it was, it was my privilege. It was great. Laurie, was there a moment when someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? Yeah, there's two. Uh, one's going to be very obvious, um, Elton John. Uh, he came in for an interview when I was in Perth and uh, I was a bit, oh, I didn't, I just, you know, I, he's probably the major constant that of, a, of an artist that I still love. And uh, I was absolutely starstruck. Wasn't a bad bloke, wasn't great, but he was okay. He was good. He was in a good mood that day. And the other one is a weird one, left of centre, uh, Rick Stein, the cook, who you see on the television a lot. He came in He came in on the Sunshine Coast. This wasn't that long ago. This was only about um, five, six years ago. And I just couldn't believe that Rick Stein was standing opposite me and having a chat on the Sunshine Coast of all places. But there he was. And uh, I was quite starstruck, but he was, he was a lovely chap and so well-travelled. Oh, what a life. I wish I'd lived his life. Best words of advice from a program manager? Uh, that was certainly from Gary Supreme, the great, great Gary Supreme, who was just, as I said, uh, as I, said I think I said a lot, along with Sheree Romaro, Gary Supreme, was the, they were the two best program directors I ever worked with. You had to run people. And Gary Supreme said to me, are you familiar with two words? And the words are reflected glory. And so many breakfast shows need to understand that whether you're doing a two-person show or what I was doing, which was basically a four-person show, it doesn't matter who gets the laugh. It doesn't matter. If, you, if someone gets a laugh and it's a good one and the audience laugh, then everybody's fantastic. And that's what they call reflected glory. Because some breakfast shows look at who got who got the most funny lines and they have a go at each other about it. But no, it's not about that. It's about a thing called reflected glory. And that was the best lesson I ever learned. And I pass that on to anyone who ever asks me about radio. Learn about reflected glory. Two albums that you'd consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years. Can I have three? Absolutely. Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which my auntie bought from London for me. And Remember back in those days, we used to have to wait for albums to come out. We heard about them overseas, uh, but my auntie bought it from London out for me, and it wasn't out in Australia yet. So I have a funny feeling I might have been one of the first people in Australia to have Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. At least that's what I told myself. And I'm, oh, man, I don't know how many times I've played it. I have no idea how many times I've played it. Uh, Chicago Live at Carnegie Hall. It's the box set. I have a great love for two bands, Chicago and the Doobie Brothers. Um, I didn't get into the Doobie Brothers until about 1975, but Chicago I was into when I was a kid, and that box set is magnificent. They've now brought out the whole... You get all the concerts now. They played six nights there, 
And when you listen to it, you wonder why they chose those particular versions of songs because there's so much better versions. But I played that. And the other one is Jethro Tull's Living in the Past, which I still do musically, quite frankly. But uh, Jethro Tull, uh, Living in the Past, I played to death as well. I loved it. They were the three. Finally, Laurie, that reputation of being the best just man behind a microphone, well-deserved? Uh, yes. Most radio announcers wear what they find on the floor first thing in the morning. But um, I, dress like a, I dress like a music announcer in my 20s. You know, I dress well, but I dress like a music announcer in my 20s. But once I hit 30, I decided that I finally should take my father's advice, and it gave him great pleasure. He used to say, you're dressed like a schloch which I think is Yiddish for homeless person. Okay, my dad's a wonderful old Jewish man. And he'd say, if you dress like a shloch, you work like a shloch. Can you dress like a, like dress like the person you want to be? I don't know who I want to be particularly, but I, at least I started wearing ties to work and I kind of liked it. I, I liked it. Alan Jones wore a tie every day. And I thought, well, I'm going to be... If I'm, I just, yeah, I just enjoy it. And I still, I still like it. I wear a tie every day and I really enjoy it. I don't have to wear a tie where I'm working now, but I still do because I enjoy it. it. Makes me feel good. Well, Laurie, in 42 years, you've done a lot, you've seen a lot, and you've entertained many, many people right across Australia. Hey, thanks for taking the time to join us today on Pilots of the Airwaves. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Laurie Atlas on Pilots of the Airwaves. Pilots of the Airwaves.